Wonderful. All right. Well, I'm really up close. All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Steve, you and I, we're going to do communion today, all right? Just we're like this. We're right now, right? So what a, what a privilege it is to preach the morning that you move the coat rack. Thank you. <laughs> May the Lord's grace abound, you know, because I tell you, I can feel the tension. Uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. And uh, what I wanted to do is, especially in lieu of uh, communion, uh, you know, I really wanted to focus on Christ. This morning, kind of draw our hearts really intimately into the ministry of Jesus. So in alluding to uh, the paralytic last week when we were talking about making Kadesh Barnea-like decisions, if you would, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, This is really uh, kind of the offset launching into the earthly ministry of Jesus in terms of his public ministry, he's already drawing a lot of attention because of how he is interacting with the people. And uh, so you can imagine that as he comes into town, he's drawing quite a bit of attention. Uh, And that is what we will find here in Luke chapter 5. But to get some context, what I'd like to do, if you would, join me in verse 12, is where I'd like to start. And I'm going to go ahead and read all the way to verse 26. All right, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he ordered him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, and as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. One day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd He went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. 
Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, we're just so thankful for the opportunity for the body of Christ to gather to investigate the living word. Uh, Father, as we know that by doing so, just by participating together in this place, uh, that you are working in and through the word which is active and living. Father, to draw our attention today to a more closer and intimate understanding of who you are and the desire you have to minister deeply in the lives of people. Ultimately, Father, to draw them unto yourself. Now I pray, God, that your blessing, your grace would rest upon our time this morning. And ultimately, in all things, as our hearts are uh, turned toward you, you would be glorified in all that is done here this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, how powerful it is to consider that this is how Jesus is going to launch into his public ministry. Literally, he is going to go where no man has ever gone before. Why in the world would you, to showcase your ministry and to show what you desire to do, why is it that you're the, well, the first people you're going to reach out to are the lepers? I mean, these are the people that nobody wants to touch. These are the situations that nobody wants to entertain. They had a, a colony that was outside of the city. They had the obligation of themselves to publicly profess to everyone who they came into contact with, I am unclean. It became the banner of their life. You know what I think is amazing? At the onset, just to capture a little bit of the heart of Jesus... Notice who touches who. Right? I want you just know who touches who. Because the leper says he implores him in verse 12, the end of verse 12, he implores Jesus saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, what does it say? And he, being Jesus, he stretches out his hand and touches him. According to the law, that would mean that now Jesus is unclean. You can't do that. You can't enter into that type of brokenness. You're not allowed to touch that. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Welcome, church. Guess what? All of us who have been touched by Jesus have lepers' hearts, don't we? Who wants to touch that filth? That malignant, cancerous darkness in our own lives. Who wants to touch that? Jesus wants to touch that. Isn't it interesting that in touching the leper, isn't that what he does on the cross? What does he do on the cross? He bears the sin of the, the world. The sin was placed upon him. It caused a division and a fraction for a moment where the father had to look away because of the sin being placed on his son. Remember when we were talking about Hebrews? Look, just don't forget, just don't forget who you're talking to when you enter into prayer. This is the guy that touches and heals lepers. So you can imagine that he has got some of the attention of the religious, the rulers, who have put laws on how God should work and how he should act, and he should definitely not do this. And I love, the, I love verse 16. It's just kind of inserted there, just as a, just another insight into the life of Christ. 
but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. You know, you just think, well, Jesus, I mean, I mean, he's f- fully God, you know, and fully man here on earth doing ministry. Why is it that Jesus needs to pray? Well, because Jesus, I believe, because of how the, the Trinity works, they, they are in such beautiful communion with each other that out of necessity of staying in communion with one another, Jesus goes and he talks to, he talks to Dad. He talks to the Father. And there's something interesting that happens there. It's almost like a demonstration of something you and I should consider because we've been now brought in, right? We've now been brought into this relationship. We should be considering how we are communing with God. Watch this, verse 17. We're just going to work our way through the passage. Some real powerful stuff here. One day he was teaching Jesus and there were, oh, here they are. They always show up. There were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And I want you to see this. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. First thing that I want you to consider, at least in this context and in this moment, is the very presence of God. The very presence of God in a beautiful communion-like relationship. You know, I was drawn to consider the verses uh, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, very familiar to you, uh, starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. There's this beautiful depiction of how the Father testifies of the Son, and the Son testifies of the Father, and that the Holy Spirit authenticating the works of both as they are portrayed and seen, played out here on earth. And the presence of the Lord was, was here. The power of the Lord was here to perform healing. It was so that somehow as Jesus is doing ministry among the people, especially a, 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 a largely Jewish audience, that they would know that what he was doing was authenticated by God himself. That they would hopefully come to the conclusion that it was God among them. Jesus. The presence of the Lord is here. And some men, and I love this, kind of unsung, unnamed heroes. Don't know who they are, but I'd love to have a conversation with these guys when we get to heaven. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd. They, they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. 
And seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I'd love to talk about the plan because I don't know. See, okay, let me just step over here for a second, right? And just, just in my private time, in my consideration of the scripture, just forgive me, okay? But I'm just kind of thinking, okay, so I got this guy who can't walk and I got to get him to Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get him to Jesus. I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to show you how this works. So what's the, what's the reasoning? What's the thinking? Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is what they thought. I hope not, but you know, the guy can't walk. Right? So what's win, lose, or draw, right? So we hoist him up on the roof. So what if we drop him? <laughs> he can't walk anyways. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm really hoping that's not, but <laughs> I don't know. We just, whatever it's going to take, we got to get him to Jesus. And this has always been a, a contention for me because I, I, see, I see the, the boy, if we could only have half this motivation to bring people to Jesus, Whatever it takes, whatever, whatever it's going to, whatever the cost, we just know there is no plan B. We have to get them to Jesus, whatever it takes. And they believe that because Jesus says or here in verse 20, seeing their faith. I want to talk about that word for a second. I was looking for some, oh, here it is. Hey, can I borrow this? All right. Seeing their faith. All right. Charlie, got up front. Right, smart guy, right? I'm going to make a bet with you. You're a betting man. Listen, don't bet in church. <laughs> Charlie, I bet you $100. Okay, don't do this. Charlie, 100 bucks. 100 bucks says that if I drop this, it's going to hit the floor. Now, without any kind of you know, influence, nobody's going to reach out, nobody's going to block it, right? If I drop this piece of paper, it's going to hit the floor. Would you take me up on that bet? You wouldn't take me up on that bet. I could really use a hundred bucks. Come on, brother, help me. But so why wouldn't you take the bet? Yeah, because who wrote it? God did. It's a law. It really does. Every single time, every single time, I take this pad of paper and I mean, check this out. Check this out. Eyes closed. Uh, it's going to hit every single time. What the meaning of this word faith is is basically this: they believed. They believe, seeing their faith, they believe that if they could just get their friend to Jesus, 100% belief, they knew if they could get their friend to Jesus, he would heal them. Because he was the only answer. There was no plan B. So this type of faith that Jesus recognizes is really powerful, but then I'm really crushed. I hope you understand, like I feel a lot of tension in this passage and maybe you do too as you pray and you wrestle with the Lord and you ask him to heal certain things or address certain things. See, I really struggle with this because verse 20 says, seeing their faith, and he's talking about their friends and maybe the paralytic, but he says to specifically the paralytic, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Hold on. Just hold on. You know, if I'm, the, if, if, I'm, if I'm the paralytic, I somehow entertained the thoughts of my friends. I somehow listened to their reasoning, and I don't know how I got on this adventure, but, you know, because they picked me up in the morning, hey, we're going to meet you at 8 o'clock, we're going to pick you up. I didn't know what it was going to look like, but they get me there, and so uh, suddenly I find myself being hoisted up in the air, and then, you know, they're moving some tiles to get me, and then I'm being lowered down, kind of a spectacle, 
I finally make the arduous journey to Jesus. My friends get me there. I'm finally at his feet. And Jesus says to me, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And I'm saying, I didn't come to you to get forgiven of my sins. I came to you because I can't walk. And then it goes back to what we were talking about two weeks ago with the book of Job, doesn't it? What if all a man receives is the declaration from heaven that you are righteous before God and nothing ever, nothing else in your life gets fixed except your eternity? Are you okay with that? What if, what if, let's just do some math. I don't know, we'll make it up. So let's say this guy's like 20 years old. That's when he meets Jesus, right? Just making it up. So, and Jesus heals him of his, like, he ma- so he makes it so he can walk, but he never addresses the eternity issue. Okay, great, so this guy can walk for 40 years, and then he spends eternity separated from God in hell. I hope you enjoyed those 40 years. So how much more appropriate the Savior, I just wonder if a piece of his heart actually shows right here. He addresses something even much deeper than maybe even his friends understood, that his sins are forgiven him. He's just received the greatest gift that heaven could ever bestow upon a man. What I see in verse 20 is their pure faith. If we can just get our friend to Jesus and yet you just don't even understand what Jesus wants to address in his life. Now we know the whole story, right? He doesn't know the whole story. We read the, you know, we got to the end of the chapter. We know he's going to address both. But in this moment, he doesn't know that. I have the presence of the Lord. I have the pure faith of these men. Let's see how this unfolds. Verse 21, here they are. The scribes and the Pharisees began reasoning, saying, Who is this, notice, who is this man? Well, Jesus is no man. But in their estimation, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That, by the way, that is the most fantastic question. That is a great question. That is worthy of your consideration this morning. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so Jesus, because he just, he's, I just love, you just, I love Jesus but it's, just, it's not just I just I love Jesus, but I love how he is so um, keen in his responses. I mean, they're just perfect. Because he asks the most incredible question, and it's a question that I want to pose to you this morning. But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which, he's asking the religious, you know, which is easier to say? Your sins have been forgiven you. Or to say, get up and walk. What a great question. So, hey, let's take a vote. And it's not going to be like where we're going to put the coat rack. I'm not going there, Steve. I'm telling you. I'm gonna get, I'll get stoned for that, all right? So, you know, okay, so if you had to, let's just ask the question. If you had, and you have to play my game, all right? You've got to play the game. Or I'm going to call you out. So you've got to raise your hand. So, so if you had to make a statement to somebody... Pick somebody. If you had to say to them, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk, which statement for you would be easier to say to somebody? 
So how many of you would say uh, it, it would be easier to say to some guy that can't walk, you know, get up and walk? Raise your hand. Okay. How about your sins are forgiven with authority? It's a lose, you know what, it's a lose-lose question. Because the, 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 the real question, so which one of you have ever gone up to somebody who's paralyzed and just said, get up and walk? You know, that wasn't at one of those crazy conventions where it was all hoaxed anyways, you know, but, you know, like get up and walk and they just, no, you can't do that. I don't have the power or the authority to do that. I recognize that. How many of you have ever, because of the way in which you've lived your life perfectly, that if we were to cut you open and your blood was to be spilled on somebody, you could forgive somebody's sin? Right, none of us. It's an impossible question. It can only be answered by one man, and he's not a man. Because who can forgive sins but what? But God. Verse 24, but but so that, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. You know, I would expect this to end differently. The context. I would expect this to end differently. I would think that because of this very public demonstration of the power of God, the presence of God, which was with Jesus, to authenticate what he is doing, that he is of God, he is God. It's interesting here, verse 25, immediately, the paralytic, right, he, he got up before them. I mean, you can't deny that. They didn't read about this in the tabloid. They didn't see like some, you know, internet video. Like it's happening right in front of them. They cannot deny this. It's probably true that through the entire earthly ministry of Jesus, as he's authenticating who he is very publicly before them, is why they have to come up with such a corrupt way to, to discount his character behind closed doors. Because Jesus is very public with how he's doing this. He's not hiding from anybody. He's certainly not hiding from you. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. They Now here's, a, here's kind of a tension verse, I think. Verse 26, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God, and they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. Well, see, here's the problem, I think. God was standing right in front of them. I think they still missed the boat. I, it's almost like, uh, you know, today's the big game, right? Super Bowl Sunday. Thank you for coming to church. <laughs> yeah, you know. So this is, like, this is, you know, they try to do kind of like an end around. Because Jesus, the God of heaven... The Word incarnate who became flesh is standing right in front of them and it's not, they didn't begin worshiping and glorifying Jesus. They, they kind of did an end around and started, you know, they, they went to God. But, but He's standing right in front of you. How can you worship God without going through the sun? Maybe these things would be learned over time. Maybe they would try to begin to understand who Jesus was. 
But you know what? At the end of the day, even as he's being crucified, they, many still just don't get it. So I don't know to celebrate this verse or still be stunned and go, well, I think they missed the boat. And yet this morning, as we consider the cup, what is it that we are considering? We are considering the perfect power, the perfect authority that was granted to Jesus, worthy as the Lamb, because He was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. It was Him and Him alone. It was His blood that was shed. It was, it was, it was He who bore the burden. So this isn't just, uh, you know, we're not just exchanging some crackers and some juice. Because He exchanged His life. And it was costly. And he is willing this morning, right? Because if you even feel like a little bit of tension, well, I can't even come to the table. You know, I got some stuff. Listen, listen. He's willing to touch the leper. He reached out and made him, by all intensive purposes, Jesus made himself unclean. Don't tell me there isn't anything in, in your life that you've done or are doing even today that he is not willing to touch. Just be, just, let's be honest here. You let Jesus in, he's going to mess you up in such an amazing way. Your life will never be the same. I ask you to consider these thoughts before partaking this morning and giving over different things in your life. And as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, we celebrate together. Worthy is the Lamb. Would you pray with me? Gracious God in heaven, Father, I thank you so much for just the initial demonstration of your earthly ministry. I believe, Father, it reveals so much of your heart toward your people and the desires in which you would have to minister. You go right to the broken, right to the downtrodden, right to the filthy and the discarded. You know, really church is just a, a leper colony that found Jesus. Or maybe more appropriately, you found us. So thanks for touching all the ugly parts in our heart and in our lives your willingness, Father, to heal us and restore us in a right relationship with yourself and to the Father. And I pray, Father, as we consider the cup and the bread this morning, as we continue in our time of worship, you would overwhelm and flood our souls with gratitude and thanksgiving for all that you have done on our behalf on the cross. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.